Hello. You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. I like the way Eddie started last episode. It's Hoop and Holler. You know why you're here, man. Let's talk some basketball. Before we get into all of the stuff we're going to get into today, we're talking about injuries, talking about the Nuggets, talking about a lot of interesting stuff that's going around the NBA. we got to bring up this beef that's coming up because you know we love the TMZ shit. <laughs> we love the drama. And yet again, there's beef going on in the NBA, this time between... All-star, future Hall of Famer, arguably one of the greatest players of all... Not even arguably one of the greatest players of all time. One of the greatest players of all time, Kevin Durant. And one of the greatest football players of all time, Shannon Sharp. We all know Shannon from Skip and Shannon, undisputed. And evidently, as good as he is at football, as entertaining of a media personality is, perhaps his journalistic skills could use a little bit of brushing up because he quoted Kevin Durant on the show. He got He got bamboozled. He was bamboozled. What did Stephen A. say? He's been bamboozled. He's been had. He's been led astray. Uh, led astray. <laughs> hoodwinked. 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 <laughs> all of that. All of that. He's been all of that because he quoted Kevin Durant on some stuff that he did not actually say. I don't know the nature of the quote. Basically something coming at Braun. But there was a whole Twitter beef going on between Kevin Durant and Shannon today that got a little bit of heated. It ended with Shannon blocking Kevin Durant, you know. Just because we love drama here at Hoop and Holler, what do we think about, uh, I know, Eddie, you had some words on it. Yeah, first of all, it's ridiculous to fall for a fake a fake quote graphic, you know, on some, on some stuff like when they put a fake quote next to, like, the face of Abraham Lincoln or, like, Gandhi or something and, and people are pretending <laughs> it's real. Like, I can't believe people are falling for fake quotes just because they make them look nice in 2021. But my bigger point is... You know, like Shannon Sharp is a is a Hall of Fame football player. It's like I didn't I never watched him play, so I don't really know how good he was, but he's in the Hall of Fame, so I know he's pretty good. You know, like you don't have to embarrass yourself on national TV. Maybe it's not national. Like you, you don't have to embarrass yourself on television trying to cape for, you know, LeBron James or trying to cape for an NBA player. And like it's not just Shannon Sharp, like Richard Jefferson, you know, like he was like a he was an all star NBA player. He was really good on the New Jersey Nets. People only know him now as like this kind of like court jester for the for the you know for LeBron James's like kingdom I guess you know like all he does is clown around and everybody thinks now that he he just was like some some bench warmer you know now he just goes on TV and makes jokes and whatever and capes for LeBron I mean I'm not like this is nothing against LeBron or whatever but it's like you don't have to make your entire post career post playing career lives you know just like diminish your entire playing career away just to you know cape for LeBron James or cape for your favorite player like. Damn, has some self worth, you know, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. for Shannon and 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 Richard Jefferson and all these dudes who go on TV, like they're to cape for players. Like you guys were Hall of Famers, All Stars, All NBAs, great players, legendary players. Like don't let your legacy 
just you know be at the servitude of another person you know i'll be a great player like like i don't know that that's just all i have yeah i I think i have like three things to say about this and so eddie you brought up a good point uh and, and something it made me think about was that as uh we we all know rod parker you know we know him we've met him we've had dinner with him uh and you know to a lot of people's you know, I'm gonna just give a little bag the waitress. <laughs> I'm gonna just I'm gonna just give a little bit of background on Rob Parker. A lot a lot of people, you know, would think him to be this angry, you know, just old dude get off my lawn. But he's actually like one of the nicest people you will ever meet. He knows all yes, the you know janitors' names. He knows the people at the front desk. He treats them like like they're you know like they're there, and, and just he's one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet but something about rob that i really do appreciate even though i may not agree with him on on, you know many topics is that he'll say how you know he how he feels about a certain subject and that goes to eddie's point that i i feel like uh, you know when a lot of players ex-players get into media it's almost like you don't want to offend anybody and um, I do have an issue with that because you can see right through it, you know, and there's something refreshing about someone like Rob, uh, even if you again, if, even if you don't agree with him saying something that, you know, that you're just not afraid to say that might maybe tick people off. But that's how he feels, you know, and it, it's just it's, it's real. It's natural. And then the second thing I wanted to say was that um, as egregious a, as this was. It wasn't as bad as uh, Skip Bayless uh, believing in a story that it, it was like Chris Paul made James Harden cry at practice. I don't know if you guys remember that. He actually said that on national TV that he made fun of his belly and he made James Harden cry at practice. And it, it's just, you know, it speaks to kind of the commentary that we see now. Um, and then the, the other thing that I wanted to say was a little bit more general, but I don't know, man, it's, you have to, it's, I don't want to say give players a pass, but these players, it's almost like we want them to be flawless and just emotionless from on the court with the refs. You know, you can't even scream and one now or else you'll, you'll get a tech and also off the court. It's almost like, like if I don't even want to say like if you make a mistake, but if you do any little thing, it's almost like these players aren't aren't human and they can't they can't make mistakes. So that, that that's obviously a broader topic, but I, I don't know, man. We we just put these these players under such a microscope sometimes, and I fall for it too. That it's it's almost like it's almost disturbing at a, at a certain point. Hmm. Um, I want to circle back to the idea of like diminishing the. I don't know if it necessarily does that. Um, perhaps in this day and age where we have a lot of people who claim to be sports fans, but you know aren't really sports fans, may they might see Shannon Sharp as like the the media guy first, the talking head first, before they see him as the legendary Denver Bronco that he was. Um, but you know, it, at, at this point, I, I don't consider those people to be real sports fans. So that that's neither here nor there. But I do agree on the idea that it's 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 a little bit odd, right, to 
think that we've come to this place in in mainstream basketball media. And yes, it's mainstream. Yes, it's going to be a little bit dumbed down, but it seems like so dumbed down to where I can't even stomach skipping Shannon. I can't even stomach first take anymore. Uh to the point where first take maybe sometimes, but skipping Shannon, like I, I cannot, I just cannot, because it's like, what, what are y'all talking about? Like what? And granted, like they do good stuff. Like Club Shay Shay is a really good podcast, but these networks, man, they gotta do better. They gotta do better. And, and I think all of that lack of, I guess, journalistic integrity that's starting to bleed in, into this sort of stuff as well. Um, and honestly, if I had to, you know, it's not like pick sides here, right? But if I had to pick a side, I would probably lean more towards Kevin Durant because we, I mean, we know how petty he can be. But like to just flat out misquote me on national TV, where a lot of people are going to take that and run with it, like that's not cool. Mm-hmm. That's not cool. I don't want. Yeah, you, you can't be doing that. And and, and uh-huh. Shannon didn't even have like the like he he wanted to handle all that in private. And Kev's like, no, let's put it out there. If you gonna misquote me on national television, let's go ahead and have a dialogue in front of the nation too. But now Shannon wanted to go behind closed doors. It's like like at the end of the day, it's like it, you made a mistake. You got to own up to it. But it's just why why are we here right now? Why mm-hmm. why why are we at this point as a sports media industry? It's, I have one more thing to say really quickly before we wrap it up. The other thing that I wanted to bring up uh, is that when you put yourself, whether it's your occupation, whether it's your choice, Michael Rappaport, or, or again, or, or your occupation, just like Shannon Sharp, you speak on TV in front of millions and millions of people every single day. You cannot just block somebody or, you know, uh, 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 um, like Michael Rappaport did just get a lawyer and sue for character defamation. Bro, you're making a living talking about other people in front of other people. Don't be don't don't be like like, you know, Shannon Sharp says says this a lot, you know, I'm up here, I'm going to tell the truth even if it means critiquing people that, you know, I like. Well, you can't have a problem people critiquing you back. So don't be all like petty, especially and, when you're like egregious. Yeah, yeah, wrong. yeah. And, and don't be all petty and, and quote unquote, you know, for lack of a better term, soft, and, and just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. You know, I'm a block. You stop, stop, stop. For what it's worth, like and to his credit, you know, KD went out and dropped like what? Oh, my fault, Eddie. You go ahead. I was gonna say, for what it's worth, I'm just of the opinion that Kevin Durant, like, whatever something pops off with him in social media and Twitter, like. I'm probably going to side with him because I feel like he probably has like one of the best Twitter accounts of all time. Like you can go back to 2011 and pull up just like some iconic and legendary tweets. Um, so yeah, I don't get, I don't get why people have a problem with the way how he interacts with fans. And, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there's no facade or anything, you know, it's just him. He'll go at some randoms on Twitter. He'll go at Twitter trolls on Twitter, you know, and it's like, it's kind of cool, you know, like this is a celebrity and, and he takes the time out to not filter himself to normal people. And, you know, like sometimes it's in the form of like burner accounts or whatever, but like, I don't think it's a problem. You know, in fact, we should be encouraging more of that sort of, um, you know, sort of like uh, relationship between the the players and the fans, maybe. On the one hand, like you got to wonder, like how much does it validate? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like one of the things my dad always talked to me about growing up is like, if you ask a person why, like five times, 
a lot of time you'll catch them in some BS. You know what I mean? Like you'll either get to the root of why they think what they think or you'll they, they really haven't thought it through. And I feel like, unfortunately, like maybe 90 percent of quote unquote NBA fans or basketball fans, if you ask them why five times, they're not going to have answers for you. Like Kevin, LeBron James is better than Jordan all time. Why? Uh, playoff runs. You know what I mean? Like they, they're not they're not going to like have real legitimate like there's no substance behind those opinions. So I almost wonder like I, I get it. Kevin Durant wants to go um, check that sort of stuff, but in the same what vein, like, you know that just that made stuff. that dude's day. You know he's, not, I mean? he's not even checking it though. It's like he clearly approaches it, and this is why I appreciate him. As like he doesn't put himself on these lowly civilians like levels. You know, like he knows he's better than all of them. So you know he'll call people scrubs and you know whatever on Twitter, and it's like he clearly, he clearly <laughs> or, or, knows. And it's, this is yeah. something you were talking about before, Reagan. You're like. You know, it's, like, it's not that Kevin Durant is sensitive. It's just that, like, he's aware of what's in the media, you know? So it's not like he gets ticked off by, you know, at sportsfan20111 something on Twitter, you know? But it's that, like, he sees it and he responds to it accordingly. Like, he knows he's better than all of them and that he doesn't have to take the time out of his day to care about what they say. But, you know, it's like it's like public entertainment when he does. And I think he knows what he's providing when he does that. Facts. All right, let's go ahead and push it to some real NBA talk. Enough with the TMZ for today. Um, unfortunately, NBA is facing issues with injuries, and we'll get into that kind of on a macro scale later. But let's look at it from you know a specific injury that happened first, being Jamal Murray tearing his ACL. I don't know about y'all, but this was probably all injuries suck. You don't, you never want to see somebody go down, but of Within that bubble of injuries, this one kind of hurt the worst for me, even more than Mello, just because y'all know I was really rocking with Denver, and I think they had a, a really, a, at least a better shot than a lot of people were giving them credit for. But without Jamal Murray, it's going to be really difficult to pull that off. So, yeah, seeing him go down, that that was that was a hurt piece, man. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I obviously didn't, you know, hold them up to the place or standard maybe you were going to, but it's obviously a blow because you, you saw what not only the Denver Nuggets, but especially, you know, specifically the player Jamal Murray was capable of in last year's bubble. And, you, you know, you want to have those types of matches, uh, uh, you know, those types of quote unquote rivalries between him and, and Donovan Mitchell and just those like player to player matchups. And obviously it's going to suck without him because you, you want to see the loaded West at its full capacity. And right. that that's kind of the clash of Titans that we were all waiting for. Obviously, we're off, we also want to watch uh, the NBA Finals, but this conference is literally insane uh, as it is, you know, many years. But this year, I feel like it was going to be a little bit, uh, you know, more so. Um, so, yeah, once, once I saw the injury, it almost felt like Clay-esque to me. When Clay obviously went up for a dunk and he landed on his left uh, leg, I, I think, yeah, his, his left foot, and his knee kind of went inwards. And that, that's what kind of tipped me off about this one was that when he stepped, it's almost like wh- whichever leg it was or knee, it, it al- it's almost like it went inwards. And it just looked, ah, like you, you knew, you just knew that he was going to be out for the season. And, I mean, it's super unfortunate. Hopefully, Jokic can step up even more so 
than he has been this year. Um, but yeah, they're they're definitely not you know making any real real noise in the playoffs now. Yeah, I mean, first off, obviously, you never wish an ACL injury and and it's you know recovery on anybody. From firsthand experience, that stuff sucks. But um, yeah, it's also like it's so disappointing to everything that you mentioned, Julio, because like I I was looking so forward to the Western playoffs. I think because, you know, this regular season is is boring, you know, like it's kind of bored me right now. And I know we'll talk about the schedule and everything, but like there wasn't much to watch for until the playoff starts. And then you talk about the matchups and you go look at, you know, the one seed to, you know, the six seed, which is uh, Portland right now, but then even like Dallas and then maybe the Warriors. You know, it's like the West was supposed to be a dogfight through and through. And Denver, and, and I know, Reagan, you put more validity into them before I did, but like they definitely started looking like major players. And now it's like, well, that's gone. You know, like they're they're probably, you know, they'll be lucky to make it past the first round. Mm-hmm. And like even more so, it's like there's just there's not really that sort of um, hype for a playoff series. You know, like if Jamal Murray's not there, it's like, yeah, Denver has Jokic. You know they still have some solid players, but like you know they're not they're probably not going far, and like yeah. that really sucks mm-hmm. because because you know like I mean Denver's really easy to root for I think too, and like people probably noticed that from last year when they beat the Clippers like they're really easy to root for like Jokic and Murray is perhaps you know maybe the most like dynamic duo if not the best duo in the game in terms of like working off each other. It's just like they're gonna miss so much from the rest of this season the playoffs. And a lot of next season as well. And you just hope that he can return, you know, in time for the playoffs, you know, with, with full strength and, and all of that. Yeah. And, and the thing about the playoffs is that, outside, you know, we probably know or I believe, you know, I think we all believe that the Lakers are obviously the best team in the West. But it's not even about the Lakers. What was the best series last year? It was the Jazz Nuggets. U- yeah, Jazz Nuggets. And so, shoot, I would love to watch a Phoenix Suns Nuggets or Phoenix Suns. Uh, uh, um, it's another team, Trailblazers, Trailblazers, and, and you know all these mid, quote unquote mid tier teams. You know those playoff series are you know would have been more exciting and are still they're still going to be exciting. But you know it just sucks to lose them all. So part of what's interesting about this in uh, obviously, you have like one of the best backup point guards in the league, Monte Morris. So, at least you're not going to be like completely in dire straits in, in terms of somebody capable of handling the ball and running the offense. Um, but you're going to need a scoring punch from somewhere, right? Especially without Jamal Murray, he's over 20 points a game. Y'all know where I'm going with this. He's going to give the ball more to Michael Porter Jr. If you're just Michael if Porter you're just Jr. isolating him, that's not going to work. Not, I, don't, I, I think they do a really good job of not isolating him right now. They like he does more of so his scoring like off the ball, um, which has forced him because of the the um, not the growth of Jamal Murray. He was there first, but because of the prominence of Jamal Murray, you already had Jokic. It has forced Michael Porter to adapt his game. Um, and kind of build some of these skills that he may not have necessarily had before in terms of being able to move off ball, make the right cut, shoot off a uh, shoot off of movement and all that. Um, but now you get to see him hop in his Duffy, I feel like, because we haven't seen Michael Porter since he got to the NBA do the sorts of things that got a lot of people really excited for him coming out of high school. 
um, perhaps this is the opportunity to let that shine a little bit more than it has in the past because who else is really going to score the ball besides Jokic, right? You're going to have to get some sort of isolation offense from somewhere. Aaron Gordon's not the dude. Will Barton's not the dude. Monte's not mm-hmm. that dude. The only other guy like you have that can really get you substantial buckets in ISO situations is Michael Porter Jr. Um, all of this is to say that you know even though this is obviously a negative situation hate when any player goes down perhaps this leads to the emergence of what i believe is like an all-star caliber player in michael porter jr because then now you get to see like really everything that he brings to the table rather than the sort of reduced capacity that he's been taking on in denver thus far i will say that i think it's important that denver doesn't let michael porter like hijack the offense you know kind of like they haven't they never let like jamal murray do that either you know because like when jamal murray cooks it's because he knows he's cooking but you know, there's still, like, a flow to the offense. There's still emotion driven around Jokic as, like, a hub. And, like, Porter can be a volume chucker at times, and you, you just don't want him taking, like, 22 shots and making five, you know? So it's like you definitely want him getting buckets within the flow of the offense. But I do agree, you know, like, if he can find that flow within an offense and get hot, you know, then he, he can start being, like, a microwave, you know, drop 35-40. And, yeah, like, I can definitely see the potential there, but... It'll also be different, too, because I don't think he has quite the developed chemistry with Jokic yet as, you know, Murray and Jokic did, you know. Oh, so, I mean, so. that that's that's a chemistry that's difficult to attain even after, like, years, right? So it'll de- – because it's going gonna, gonna to look different because I wouldn't say that Michael Porter is, like, a ball handler. I'm not suggesting that Michael Porter take over as lead guard for him. So it's going to look different between that wing and big dynamic versus what we saw with Murray and Jokic versus the guard and big. Um, but I, there, there's potential. I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how it works, but there, there's definitely potential there. Um, but time can only tell. Moving on, another injury. God, it, it sucks, but you got James Wiseman. And I, I'll leave the floor to you, Eddie, because, uh, you know, th- this is, you know, is obviously your guys, the Warriors. Not really your guy. It's more my guy. But, <laughs> you know, you've seen him for, for the duration of the season. You kind of saw progress if you did see progress just kind of as a Warriors fan how are you feeling about you know James Wiseman's rookie season and and kind of his prospects moving forward so I know I you know I came on the pod like it was like an episode probably three months ago now right where I was like this dude doesn't know how to play basketball he doesn't smile blah 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 I mean like you know all of that and the truth is like I think I definitely warmed on him as the season went on because you know to my uh you know, like, I think maybe part of, like, my blind spots in seeing basketball is that, like, yeah, like, being seven foot tall and, like, running fast and jumping high does, you know, like, it does, it definitely does get you places, especially when you watch, you know, Kevon Looney come off the bench or something. But um, I think the main thing with Wiseman is that, you know, this injury won't be, like, super harmful if it's not, like, a long-term thing. Um, if he just has to miss, like, four to six weeks, that'll be the season. Um, that's fine. The Warriors have been playing better, you know when he's not on the floor anyways and that's not again like he's a rookie like if you're a rookie you're going to be negative in your minutes like no matter what um unless you're Tyrese Halliburton that's true but um and I did call that he was going to be pretty good but um or Lamella Ball also true although Charlotte's been still pretty good without him but um facts the thing is like as long as Wiseman can get a normal off season in because you know the whole story was he didn't get any playing time except for those two games at Memphis or whatever um get that summer mm-hmm. league in get the off season training in you know go work out with Kevin Garnett as as what's been reported today you know although I'm not totally sure whether him and Garnett 
really are on the same level um, of like energy. But, um, you know, it's like if you can get the off season work in, then it's like, okay, I'm curious to see what you got in your second year, because that that's a pivotal year, you know, for any player, but especially for Wiseman, who was lacking experience to and from. And I mean, the only thing that I have to be worried about, though, is that, you know, it's been a really rocky year for him in that every time he's had momentum this season, it's been cut off by injury, you know, by getting COVID or something, you know, just like some weird circumstances. And it seems like every time that happens, his momentum is lost. And to me, it's like that kind of points to a sort of like mental development that's needed. You know, it's like it's one thing to like learn moves, learn, you know, how the game is played, how to read and react. But it's another thing to remember them and like really put them to use. And it's possible that the game was just too fast for him in his rookie year. Um, And it's possible that given more time training, like he'll be better in his sophomore year. And, you know, like I'm willing to bet that he can do it because by all accounts, he's a really hard worker. Um, And the truth is, like, he fits something that the Warriors could really use, which is a lob threat. You know, a guy that can theoretically space the floor because I still believe in his shot, Um, a shot blocker, you know, like all of those things. But again, it'll be up to this development in the offseason. In terms of like this season, though, you know, again, like as a rookie, uh, I guess a high prize rookie on a team that wants to compete, that'll never mesh because rookies are just not good in the NBA. Um, unfortunately, like there's just such a steep learning curve and the Warriors are probably better off running more Draymond at the five minutes, you know, more Juan Toscano Anderson, small ball lineups, um, even Kevon Looney, like they have a better uh, net rating with him on the floor. So it can be a win-win as long as Wiseman, you know, really gets to work this off season and the injury's not like, terrible and you know keeps him out for a really long time yeah shout out Steph I mean he dropped his uh you know he he passed up Will Will Chamberlain for most points all time in a Warriors uniform um that's pretty cool perhaps you know to tie in here perhaps James Wiseman is the next great Warriors big man have there been the Warriors (laughs) the Warriors will never the Warriors will never have I don't want to say a good center because, okay, like, they did get... Like, the whole reason why they got Bogut is because the Warriors have never had a a good big man, like, ever in their franchise history since Wilt, basically. And that doesn't even count because they were in, like, Philadelphia or something. Um, what about... Uh, shout out, shout out, 1136. Uh, what about Magaberry? Is he not a... <laughs> he was a... No, I'm talking about center. Like, the Warriors okay, have so. spent their entire what history... About, um- Thurmond, right? Nate Nate Thurmond? Was yeah, he not a center? The forties don't count, you know. Like I don't oh, even know he was in the forties. But what I'm saying is like for almost the entirety of the Warriors history, you know, they've drafted like Ekpe Udo and Andres Beadrich and Joe Barry Carroll and you know, like they spent their entire franchise trying to draft centers and none of them have panned out or get centers and none of it has panned out. You know? So it might just be and again, like they lucked into playing this sort of like three point revolutionary ball because Joe Lacob wanted to get Dwight Howard and wanted to build, you know, the center oriented team. And maybe it's just not meant to be, you know, maybe the Warriors just are never going to have a good big man, which is fine. You don't need a good big man to be good in this NBA. Let's say you, Julio. I just don't have a lot of thoughts on James Wiseman. Like, I really feel bad for his injury. Like, I feel bad for even the players that I hate the most getting hurt. But it's, it's you know, 
I, I don't know, man. They should have just traded him. Like, I mean, I, I'm gonna keep beating this drum over and over and over again. Yeah, just I mean, they should have offered him. Obviously, his even as well as a rookie can perform in, in their rookie year. Um, I just don't think value. You know, we've talked about this before. The value after you make the pick versus before, it's just night and day. You telling me that James Wiseman now, you know, the GMs that have seen him play after this year, love him more now or loved him more before the draft? Before the draft, definitely before the draft. So I mean, it's one of those it's one of those things to where like rare is the guy that kind of recuperates his value because we can do all the pre-draft scouting all we want, but I think it was you, Eddie, that showed me that graphic of like what percentage per draft becomes a superstar, what percentage becomes an all-star, what percentage becomes a starter, which be- what percentage becomes a role player. It's like the vast majority just end up as role players, maybe one or two sup- like all-stars. If you're lucky, there's a superstar in there, a few starters. Like, you know, uh, the NBA draft is kind of a not a crapshoot. There's obviously some skill level. You know, got dudes like PD Webb and all those and types no, of dudes and, who know how to scout. Yeah, and, and it can be very, you know, it can be very, very useful to be picking. Not, not, you know, yeah, like at the end of the lottery, end of the first round, even some, you know, some second round. If you, if you, you can go out there and get guys like, like the. I always point to the Lakers just because you know that's my team and that's what I know. You can go out there and get guys like as much as I don't like Kuzma. Like that's our, you know, that's a good role player. Larry Nance like Jr. Kuzma? What's wrong with Kuzma? I mean, he he's grown on me this year, but I mean, I, yeah, he's know, hooping this year. Uh, Caught him a little body the other day. Uh, Larry Nance Jr., Thomas Bryant. Like you can go out there and get that. That's what I would prefer to do in the draft. Go out and get those types of twos. Like, what's the What's the dude on, on the Memphis Grizzlies that I really wanted for the Lakers? Baines? De- like those types play. of dudes. Those are the types of dudes that I would love to go out and, and scout and go out and try to get in the draft. Not, you know, reaching up to get these new, you know, superstars, next Kobe's and MJ's. And Will- that, that's all BS. It's all BS. It's all BS. I guess the last thing. Shout out draft analytics Twitter. The last thing I'll say yeah. about Wiseman is that. You know, like, you see a player like DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix, and it's like, I think everybody who kind of um, really analyzes Hoop will, will be frustrated by Ayton because he never quite plays like his ceiling indicates. I know, Hula, you talked about it, like, he plays dumb sometimes. Like, I think people who watch him know, you know, like, for whatever reason, it's just like he doesn't play like he can actualize his full potential because there's something, you know, I don't want to say mental, but it's like it's something with processing that's holding him back. But the... but. The thing is, Phoenix is still a second-place team. You know, like, they're the second-best team in the league by NBA record. You know, like, no matter the way you cut it, it's like, they're a really solid team. And DeAndre Ayton is their third-best player. And he's a positive for them. You know, no matter how much is, you can Is be, he? I mean... Is he? I mean, he is. When he's on the floor, he's their positive. Who would who would you rather lose? All right? Give me McCall Bridges. Bridges. Give me McCall Bridges. Mm, that's a good... See, like, I like Mikhail Bridges better, but... The truth is, it's it's like I don't know. That's that's tough. But point call, being, call it a toss up. But carry on. Point. I mean, I love Mikael Bridges. But point being is that DeAndre Ayton is a positive player for Phoenix and a reason why they're like 
like one of the reasons why they're a really good team this year. So like even if you like hate DeAndre Ayton, like Julio, I know you you know you definitely fr- get frustrated by him. I get frustrated by him. It's like you know like he 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 might not have high IQ or, or whatever, but it's like he's still a good player. You know, so like that's what makes me want to believe in the development of Wiseman it's like you might always be frustrating me as a player or frustrate people who you know like watch hoop inside and out or something but it's like just because you got low IQ or something doesn't mean you know like you'll be a bad player you know so again like that that's why I think I've come around on Wiseman a bit and like kind of foregone the early frustrations it's like I know that always be there a part of his game you know it's like the physical traits will always be ahead of you know, perhaps the mental aspects of it, but it's like the potential is still there, obviously. So it's like, and, and I assume this is how teams view him too. It's like, it's hard to give up on someone with that perceived upside. I I also think like as a Warriors fan, y'all have been very spoiled with highly intelligent basketball for the past you know, and I think you know maybe true Warriors fans get it, but a lot of I mean, you know it's, the, the it's pseudo bandwagon Warriors from fans, the highest IQ team to the lowest IQ team in the league. Like, <laughs> I don't know about the lowest IQ team. Our team I mean, you, you now you dumb. now go watch the Houston Rockets play basketball. I mean, now like, you're just bad. Now you're, it's not that there's lo- like we're 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 low IQ and we're bro, still like my bro. You, okay, okay, but you, I think. Now, I was going to say, now you're experiencing what it felt like to be a Lakers fan, but I think we felt it even more. At least you have then, we're freaking not bad. We have expectations. You know, it's like, if you don't have expectations, like, that's a different sort There's of There's always expectations on the Lakers. Not, not when Ryan Kelly is starting. Like, <laughs> All right, you know what? I'm cutting that here. Point being, um, you guys have been spoiled with highly intelligent basketball players, right? Curry, Clay, Draymond, Andre Godala. I mean, hell, Sean Livingston, like all all those guys, like knew how to play, um, and knew where to be and when to be there. How do you um, not mention KD? This is this is the haterade I'm talking about, bro. This is the haterade that I'm talking. How, how do you I, I not mean, mention KD? It's not that I, I. It's not that KD didn't come to mind. It's just a matter of like when I was thinking of I, when I think of the Golden State Warriors, I think about the the freaking, real Warriors, like the right? initial Golden State Warriors. You know what I mean? I don't think about the oh, KD like Golden State like Warriors. like the Warriors, like the real Warriors who won two Finals MVP. Like those no, real I'm not. Uh, th- this ain't that. Oh, <laughs> this, this ain't my, that. My fault, this is not fault. that. That's not my what you finna do to me. That's <laughs> not what I'm finna turn. It. You can finna have Kevin Durant in my fucking DMs talking shit to me, <laughs> calling me out on Twitter and shit. I, I don't need all that. Okay. <laughs> um, no, all of that is to say, like you're so used to you know highly intelligent basketball that I'm sure it's got to be frustrating to observe maybe not as high intelligent basketball. But I'm not out on James Wiseman's development in his in the IQ aspect of his game yet and I the reason I think I've said it on this podcast before the reason why I'm not out on it is just because it, it's going to take time and, and mental and physical reps for him to get to that point and rep those aren't reps that he's had yet right you talked about how his season's been so herky-jerky with COVID we go back to prior like the, the, when he was in Memphis right he only got to play a few games and then he wasn't you know it's not that he wasn't in a gym but he wasn't getting game reps right this dude needs game reps so he can understand situations and what to do in them and the more he gets put in those situations the better his reaction time and his instincts are going to become maybe they won't be ever probably they won't ever be a Jokic they won't ever be like a Joel Embiid but it's going to get better it's not going to be as you know we, we can't start passing judgments on dudes in their rookie seasons they get way better so so, here, so 
He'll be ready once Steph is 38, right? He'll be ready for a championship. Perhaps. Then. Perhaps they that's made what a mistake I'm saying. That's what I'm the, saying. I mean, that, that's a separate discussion, whether you commit to two different timelines and that's not good. That that, But, you know, in isolation, him as a basketball player, I think he's going he's going to grow in terms of his um understanding of the functions of basketball and how to react on the court. Um, but we talked about these injuries. Obviously, James Wiseman's not exactly a product of this because he had more time, but most players in the NBA – had experienced the shortest offseason in the history of sports, right? Um, and we're seeing this wave of injuries with the Jamal Murrays, the LeBron James, the Anthony Davis. Um, who else has gotten hurt? LaMelo Ball. I mean, LaMelo Ball was a rookie, but that's besides the point. We've seen a bunch of injuries throughout the entirety of the season thus far. Um, do Guys are playing games in a much more compact schedule than they normally would. How do we feel about in hindsight, now that we have time to look on it and see what the result is, how do we feel about the way that the NBA played this thing out, wanting 72 games and scheduling it the way that they did? I don't know if the NBA would have handled it any differently, and I, I think I would be confident in saying that they wouldn't. And this is something that not only the NBA put down, but this is something that the players agree to. Obviously, players, uh, at first, I, I think we did some episodes on it, were kind of reluctant to this playing schedule. But then until the NBA and just, you know, everybody was coming up with these, you know, numbers, how much money the the players would lose, how much their salaries would be cut, you know, from a percentage standpoint. And I'd rather take my chances with an injury and just playing, quote unquote, maybe too many games rather than taking that huge salary uh, decrease or cut. That's just that's not going to happen on on my end at least, um, and I think it, it's definitely unfortunate. But it's not like it's not something that the NBA just cooked up and said, "Here, this is our best product." No, it's kind of like being backed into a corner, and this is kind of your only option. Obviously, they lessened the the season ten games, um, but the Olympics are, are coming up this summer, and you know we we've gone um, over a lot of this. But I, I, again, I just don't think the NBA or the players, for that matter, would have done anything differently. I know if I was a player, I wouldn't have because you're not taking or I, I at least for me, I wouldn't want 40, 50 percent of my salary taken just because I'm going to have more rest days. Just give me the more games. It's fine. I'll take a chance with injuries. I definitely agree that I think. You can't, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty on like, oh, should the NBA have done it differently? It's like it's it's damn near impossible for the NBA, I think, to balance, you know, the way COVID shook out and, um, you know, the business partners and the TV deals and they want the most games and, and all this and all that and to come up with the right schedule. And it's like, yeah, like it sucks. But also it's like, again, I think the NBA didn't have another choice. But what I do feel strongly about now, it's something that I've like kind of had some opinions on but now I think I really feel strongly about is that um you know like I do think the schedule should be shortened and the NBA should really look into it because studies have shown that most players pick up like soft tissue injuries later in the season as you know the campaign goes on and the thing is like it's not only from an injuries perspective but just thinking about like the product this year like the more the NBA's gone on, like the more I'm just like I don't know why I have any reason to watch these games. You know, like even even if it's like a good game, like even if it's, you know, like like the Suns and the uh, Jazz like played a game, like that was a good game, but it's just like it's not sustaining. And I think there's just too much regular season fatigue. You know, and I and I think a lot of people like a lot of fans feel this way. 
in that, you know, if the NBA take a look at it, you know, if they shorten the schedule permanently to like 60 games, 55 games, I don't even Ooh. think they would lose that much money from viewership either. Well, because guess what? You you this this is like the NFL strategy. You concentrate the sort of demand for games into less, you know, in, into the lesser amount of games so you get more people interested. You know, it's like you have this surplus of games right now. I think it's cl- like clearly you have a surplus of games right now and no one cares about all 82. But if you shorten it to 60, shorten it to 55, you know, maybe have more of these like bigger rivalries and stuff. Now you can play these things up. Now, the, you know, it's like you can really actually market it a little bit more. The regular season instead of everybody treating it like a joke and waiting for the playoffs. Like, I think it's something that they should really take a really long look at. Yeah, the thing about it for me is that I'm fine with the shortened schedule, but I don't think you'd be able to depend on enough. I think what your argument does hold some weight about, you know, the NFL strategy that literally every game matters uh, in in a 16, 17-game schedule. I don't think you'd be able to rely on all of that, but it does hold some weight. But what the NBA would need to do, in my opinion, if you shorten your schedule, is change up how the kind of whole season works you have to instill stakes now whether that's uh or even in the even in the playoffs and the regular season both for that matter if you institute and we've talked about this i'm a big huge proponent about this in the first rounds of the playoffs maybe first first two maybe um do maybe not one game or one game uh, elimination games but you know, three a three game series. You know that puts the stakes up higher. Or try an in season tournament. There's nothing wrong with trying that. And I know you know players like LeBron and other players have pushed back on that. And it's just like I don't know if you guys have gone in depth enough, maybe to to see how that would work because none of us has re- have really seen it. There's nothing wrong with experimenting with different things. Um, so I, I think. I, I I would be in favor of a shortened schedule only if you were to add some different stakes and and reasons for, you know, to keep me – I'm always going to watch, but to keep the average fan watching, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot you can play around with, right? Like even the idea of like if you're going to do in-season tournament, like hell – um, you know, change the playoffs to where like there is like a first round bye, and the winner of the in season tournament, if you make the playoffs, gets the first round bye. Like you can do a lot of things with it, but I should note, like you know, if you talk about shortening the regular season, you're not just talking about TV deals here. You're also talking about teams and their arenas and how many games they get to have a full capacity of like that. That's also putting a. a a chip into the individual team's pocket because, you know, if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, you don't get that many national televised games anyway. You kind of need that, you know, you, you kind of need the people to fill up the FedEx arena um, for you to be making your money. So if you're telling me, oh, you're going to have 10 less games this year, uh, I might not have planned for that if I'm the owner of the Grizzlies or whoever runs their finances. So but like, you, you, but it, again, there's like, a lot of moving pieces there, but I do think in terms of fan interest level, it is something to consider because it's lacking this year. Though I will say that I've said this on this podcast before. I think it's more of a product of the fact that we know what's coming come playoff time. We know that it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets and we know that it's going to be the Lakers. So there's no intrigue surrounding the regular season in the post LeBron post KD era. When we have these teams where we don't know who's going to be top dog and it's there's there's more 
um, mystery around who's going to be the best team by the end of the season that the regular season would begin to matter more and you would start to see more interest, right? We would be getting to, we would we would want to watch the Jazz and the Suns play in the regular season. We'd want to watch Jamal Murray face off against uh, Luka Doncic, or I should say Jokic face off against Luka Doncic in the regular season because it's like, you know, this could be something that we see come playoff time, but the fact that we kind of know what's coming come playoff time kind of puts the, takes the... Uh, Intrigue, I, I suppose. Again, I'm, I, mean, I, I, I feel like mixed emotions about that because, like, I see where you're coming from, theoretically, but, you know, top dogs are always going to attract some eyes. So, when Jordan's in the NBA can't Finals, play every night, you know, like the, the, the what yeah, we but, have right now is like the Lakers in the Nets, and then everybody else. That, you know that, what I mean? That, and it's like that's it, what I'm saying. It, so, but like what. What happened when Jordan was playing, you know, in three straight, almost damn near every NBA Finals? Then he retires. You know, would you rather see Jordan versus Karl Malone, John Stockton, or would you rather see Hakeem Olajuwon, Hakeem Olajuwon versus, I don't know, Patrick Ewing, you know? Now, it's hard to say because we, we didn't grow up in the era, right? And we didn't experience it firsthand, but... I'm not of the understanding, and this is based on just the understand, like talking to my parents and aunts and uncles. I'm not of the understanding that there was ever like the severe gap that we seen between the top dogs and the rest of the NBA, even in the Jordan era. There was always at least somewhat of a question of whether Jordan could be usurped on a given year because it wasn't the 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 talent gap wasn't as deep as it normally is right you still had the jazz who could be formidable you still had the pacers who could be formidable you still had who was another team he had to play the magic who could be formidable well i mean can't the utah jazz this year be formidable like like no what what about what about your denver nuggets like if jamal murray never got hurt like what i said that the gap between the lakers and the in the nuggets was closer than you know, a lot of people were giving it credit for that didn't mean this shit was close like it just meant like it was like you know instead of it was like you know instead of 100 miles maybe it was 80 miles but it was still a, a bit of a distance you know what i mean like there was just no way in hell that you would ever get me to put my money on someone other than the lakers making it out of the western conference and someone other than the brooklyn nets right like even back in jordan's era right obviously you would put your money on jordan but you know there was a like a, there was still in hindsight's twenty twenty, but like there was still like a little bit of mystery around maybe this is the year. Like, is anyone looking at the Lakers? Like, maybe this is the year somebody takes them out. Is anyone looking at the Nets? Like, you know, maybe someone takes like no one. No one thinks that. And as long as there's not that element of mystery, no one's going to care about what happens until those two teams face each other or until one of them completely collapses and falls on its face and embarrasses itself like the Los Angeles Clippers did last year. <laughs> um, I just, but, I mean, I yeah, just came up um, with this. No, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just came up with this in my head in terms of like a idea of a schedule. It's like, okay, if you reduce it to 50 games, say that, you know, you still have like... That's too much. That's too much. Okay, but, too say, much. but say that you still have... You know, the traditional like one to eight in each conference going to the playoffs. But, you know, if you're seated five to eight, you have to play, you know, a one game playoff. Basically, it's a wild card. It's it's one and done. If you lose, you're done. And and the five and eights in every conference, you know, like there's no conference for these things. So like East would play West and everything. And then once that shakes out, the top four in each conference gets a bye and gets to play like best of fives or best of sevens or whatever. Like 
to me, it's like you just have to experiment with those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. How like the Eddie, way you know I love you. That it, shit is whack. It is great. I'm, I promise you. <laughs> no way. There, there will be no more load management because you do not want to get this five to eight seed. There will be. Well, you know, four, like people, yeah, but what you, people what, what you don't want to do is like take away the process either, right? Like to me, that makes it a lot more of a crapshoot. And like you, like the NFL is kind of fun because it's a crapshoot. Um, but like that's football shoot, though, in general. Like basketball finish, has more like definable things that we can expect about it but if you finish like, as that, a top that, that's too that's too much to me to me like that's the right reward system if you are a top eight in a field of 30 you have like really stable guarantees if you're like that that's a that's kind of like getting a like you know what that, that'd be like getting an a in a class or something like you deserve that you know like the fact that 16 out of 30 teams get this sort of guarantee for the playoffs to play best of seven series like this relative security in the nba right now like that's more than half. Like I feel like the reward distribution is off. Like you do not deserve to be an eight seed in the NBA right now. Like the fifteenth best team, and to say that like you know you made it to the postseason, you know. And the thing is like what you don't want to do is like you don't want to alienate people from competing and tanking by saying we're we're only letting four teams, you know, uh, make the playoffs per conference. But by creating this like wild card system and shortening the games, you start putting a premium on every individual game. So, you know, everyone has to play hard. Everyone has to show up. There's no load management, you know. And then once you get to the, you know, playoffs, it's like you can create this sort of middle ground that's not um, that that doesn't happen in the NBA right now. It's either like you compete or you tank, you know, but now you can get this like middle ground where it's like you can be one and done. But if you go on a hot streak, like now you're playing with fire. Um, so I don't know. I just yeah, can't. I, I mean, I, 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 yeah. And, and th- your overall point is that there's so many things to experiment with. And another thing that I think that the NBA could perhaps capitalize on that the NFL definitely does are the divisions. People forget mm-hmm. there's there there. You know, the NBA has divisions and divisions exist. You know, it's the Lakers, the Clippers and the Warriors and the Sacramento Kings in one. And then you know you that's the only that's the name another name another that's division. the only that's, you know that's, that's the one only division. one that I know maybe the Rockets the Mavs and the Spurs and you know one of who's the, the last one I, I have no idea <laughs> maybe the Memphis Grizzlies it seems like they'd be you know Tennessee Texas no I'm pretty sure they're in a weird division because they start in Vancouver oh oh but it's weird you, you know weird. my my point is maybe you could find a way to to. Optimize those kind of in division rivalries. I, I know in basketball it's a little bit different. You know, you're not trying to freaking knock a dude's head off like in football. Like, but I think you know, point it, being, it, it's something that can be explored. It's just like after this season, I'm like so convinced that you know the product is cooked. It's done. You know, like Adam Silver has to figure out ways to you know limit injuries because we see this every year as the season goes on and increase competition and, you know, give teams incentive to compete, you know, while at the same time not saying that every team, you know, or like more than half goes to the playoffs. It's just like there's so much room for improvement. And I think now I feel really firmly that like it's time, you know, to make some big waves, make some changes to how the uh, how the campaign looks. Uh, and, and, and we'll get to changes in how certain campaign looks. But before we get into that, $10 cash app right now to anyone who can name the in like in 
its entirety any division other than the Pacific Division. Okay, the Southeast Division cash up. is Miami, is Orlando, is Washington, Atlanta, and Charlotte. My cash app is dollar sign Eddie's son. Damn, you're on my ass. There it is. Yeah, I can. I can name ten dollars to Eddie's son. You got me. I can name another one me. for ten more dollars. I can name another one. No, for no, no, 10 no. no. This, no? this okay. ain't. That was a one time. That was a one shot deal. We not just. We not just gonna. You, you said that you know, way you know, too you, calmly. You know my memory is photographic. Hey man, I, yeah, I, I shouldn't have fucked with that. You're right. I have um, no. I will idea. cash app you. Your ten dollars. That's one training session with Julia. You just took away from me. Um, <laughs> but. To close out the show, I kind of wanted to hop on a soapbox because obviously we, we, we've seen this time and again where an unarmed black person is shot and killed by a police officer. And there's a reaction by the American populace at large, but also within the realm of sports. And because sports, specifically basketball and football, feature some of the most prominent black faces that our society has um it's important that they engage with these issues um and i have respect for the fact that you know a lot of athletes have stepped up to the plate when it comes to that um but with that respect i also have some criticisms as well and you know within the context of the nba it, it, it really starting to feel to me, especially it, it, this sentiment really started last year after, you know, the the bubble and, and you saw the Black Lives Matter on the on the um, on the court and you saw the messages on the back of the jerseys and all of that was cool. The commercials were cool. The post game press conferences were cool, but. It at a certain point when we keep having this cyclical nature where something happens, whether that was Philando Castile, whether that was um, Ferguson, whether that's Trayvon Martin, whether that's George Floyd, whether that's Breonna Taylor, whether it's now, right? When it keeps happening and the reaction looks the same from the NBA and the players, and yet, we don't see these issues even begin to be resolved, right? There's been no defunding of any police, right? There, there, there's no talk about, you know, allocating those funds to social programs to alleviate the issues that, that start, that, that make there a need for a police in the first place. Like those conversations are not being had by the right people, so it feels like when we keep doing the same things over and over and yet these things still happen, at what point do we as a society, but specifically, you know, in the context of this, you know, you as the NBA players do something else. Lay down the hammer in a different way because, you know, T-shirts are nice messaging is nice but clearly it's not enough it's not moving the needle to where people feel a sense of urgency to change something and we arrive at this point again and again and it's like to, for what 
for 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 what what are we doing? And I, you know, that's personally at least that's motivated me to be very serious about how I engage with these sorts of things, um, because I, I feel like things that I thought might have been helping in the past really are producing similar results. So I'm trying to find other ways and educate myself on, you know, the systems at large that cause these things, right? Rather than, you know, just having an energy for it when an incident comes up, um, studying up on on how we arrived at this point and, and figuring out how it is that we tear apart and restructure these systems and it's like, I, I, I would hope, you know, and this isn't something that's for everybody, right? This isn't a battle that, you know, at the end of the day, some dudes are out there to play ball and go home and enjoy their families. And that's completely fine. That's not a battle that everyone is called to take. But for those who do feel compelled, right? For those who do feel like they have to stand on their platform and try to affect change, I would encourage, as Malcolm X said, by any means necessary. And what he meant by that was examine all of the ways feasible by which you can affect change, not just the ones that are necessarily most attainable, most easily accessed, oftentimes handed to you by your oppressors, right? Examine all the ways that you can possibly change the situation by any means necessary. I would encourage that of the NBA players because they are the most prominent black faces in our society and they do hold a lot of cards and they do hold a lot more power than a lot of folks yet even with the efforts that they have made just not enough has changed not yeah. enough has changed um what, that's not a criticism that that that's more of a suggestion yeah um what would i i know what i would like to see um i just out of curiosity what do you like, what would you like to see from whether it's the NBA or players or whatever, whatever? Yeah. I, I mean, if specifically in the context of the NBA, I would say. Like LeBron's more than a vote is a step in the right direction. But like, let's take it even further. See, right. Yeah. One of the mm-hmm. one, one of the things that I've been really interested in lately is kind of like. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, you know, not even the idea, like the fact that, you know, there are people currently sitting and dying in prisons that were fighting for the liberation of black people and other marginalized communities and were thrown in prison simply for that fact, whether they were accused of something that didn't happen, whether they were, um, you know, literally thrown in jail for just advocating for certain ideas, whether that's socialism or perceived the evils of communism, whatever the hell. There are literally people sitting in jail right now, like uh, Mumia Abu-Jabal um, is one of the bigger names, sitting in jail right now, rotting away, and no one, like, that. that's something tangible that can be accomplished right now, honoring and respecting the people who have fought this fight before. And, and, and you know, if you, you can't tell me that if LeBron James came out right now and said, free that dude. That there wouldn't be a wave of people ready to get find a way to get him out of jail. There wouldn't be a large-scale reassessment of all the messed up things that happened throughout his trial, whether that was, you know, witnesses coming back and saying that they were were giving false testimony, whether that was court sonographers talking about how the judge was saying, I'm going to help them fry that N-word. You know what I mean? Like, we have to engage with these things with a level of depth that's going to, 
demand people to examine these things at a deeper level than we have been. Um, what that looks like, I can't give you necessarily like tangible examples. Like that's part of what I'm like working on is what would that look like? But I do know it's more than taking a knee. We're past that. It's more than linking arms. It's more than wearing a t-shirt. Like it's even more than peaceful protests at this point. Like there have to be cards thrown on the table that demand immediate results for change Mm -hmm. because, you know, uh-huh. Asking nicely, it's not gonna. It, it's it. At no point in American history is that cut it. In no point and, in world history is that cut mm-hmm. it. My and my response back to uh, uh, when the part you said about you know and, and you know this work isn't cut out for everyone. And, and although not. although that's true, what I would say to people who may not be you know people with those platforms with that you know. Obviously, a lot of platforms and power comes from money and other things come from, you know, authority and stature or whatever. Um, But what I would say to those people also is that you can do it in your own way. You know, there's different ways to to help out. Right. And so the, the strategy that I would come out with is that so I've, you know, in I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I'm studying to take my real estate exam. You know, and, and that's something that I want to I want to do and have for my future. The real estate kind of the, the history of real estate is so like fascinating and, and effed up mm-hmm. in, in so many ways. There's things like redlining uh, that, yep. that, you know, all these housing acts that uh, uh, had to be instituted because of straight up racism that was uh, just you know, used against people of color. And, um, and to me, you know, from my perspective, that that's, that's the, that's the specific issue within this larger umbrella that interests me. So that, that, that that's my entire point that, you oh, know, yeah. there, there's so many different ways to attack. And, and I guess the, the phrase skin a cat, but, um, something that that's super remarkable, like LeBron's, I promise school. And no, you don't have to go start up his damn school, but you know, uh, something that I would that I would love to do if I was you know in that position of power and, and you know had that kind of capital, social capital, uh, economic capital is you know teach some of these young kids and you know, obviously that would be you know I need to teach myself too on, on business, what it means to you know uh, be an entrepreneur, start your own business, uh, a lot of things you know that that the wealthy know in this country that, that our communities don't know are things like, like, uh, uh, um, tax breaks and tax write-offs. Like these are simple things that can start creating generational wealth that speak to this larger umbrella. And I don't mean to go, you know, you know, just center focusing on this, uh, microscopic issue, but, you know, you can attack it from a lot of different angles. So these are the different kind of things that I, I feel like as as a league, you definitely have enough resources to do um, and, and to make actual change in a community, not just, you know. Um, and, and as for another thing, like, I feel like a lot of the notion, like, is that, you know, it has to be you because you you were the one to achieve this platform, Right. Um, 
I have to imagine that a guy like LeBron James, and he's certainly engaged with these issues to some extent, feels like a, a level of pressure to say, you know what, I have to do something because I've been rewarded this platform in large part because of how my people have supported me. But you can use that platform not just, you know, you don't have to be the one necessarily to step up and be the next Malcolm X or or Martin Luther King or, or whatever, right? A lot of what you can do is like uplift the people who are doing this groundwork every single day, right? And uplift the people who have educated themselves about these issues and who know what needs to be done and who can offer those tangible solutions. Maybe you don't have the answers, but there are people out there who are doing this work who have dedicated their lives to liberation, right? Uplift those people, like interact with those people, make sure those people are known and have and have power and influence and allow them to access your platform to um, to preach the things that they want to preach. You know what I mean? I, 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 th- I think of, you know, a lot of these liberation organizations, right? Uh the 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 revolu- I forget the I'm I'm bad with names but there's so many revolutionary organizations and that's what anybody who does revolutionary work will tell you like join an organization join an organization join an organization Stokely Carmichael Malcolm X Angela Davis they all would tell you right now go join an organization I encourage anyone out there who's interested in in, in liberation work join an organization because that's the only way that you're going to be able to really engulf yourself in this stuff uplift those organizations it doesn't have to be you because at the end of the day what did you devote your whole life to the thing that you love the thing that you were passionate about playing the game of basketball and that's allowed you to achieve this platform but just like you devoted your time and energy and resources into that game other people have devoted that same time, energy, and resources into the liberation of marginalized communities. Allow them to speak on your platform. You know what I mean? That's something that could be extremely powerful, I believe. So that that's mm-hmm. one tangible f- solution, I, I feel like. But um, it, it has to expand beyond what we've seen mm-hmm. thus far. It, it just has to because we're, we're sitting in the exact same position that we were just months ago when NBA players were hesitant to even come back in the bubble. Right? Even, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, even it's be something else. Yeah, even a, something that would be a little bit more kind of chauvinistic than what, what's kind of going on now is something as simple as really. I don't know if you guys ever seen the the show on Hulu or ABC uh, for Life. I, his name is Isaac Wright, the guy who became a lawyer in jail and essentially like you know went to, went to court for himself and figured out how to defend himself wow. yeah and that like those are the types of, you know i i got into the story by just like i saw the trailer and i was like damn that that's a that's a dope premise and then i learned more about it, like it was actually like true and obviously some things become you know fictionized in in storytelling but i mean the, the central premise is that telling you know fascinating stories about um you know, these people and situations and whatever. And no, it doesn't always have to be, you know, just like I said, it, it comes in so many different forms that, you know, as much as these players love basketball um, and whoever, you know, in their perspective sports love, love their sport, you have to have, <laughs> you got to have other, you know, interests too. Um, you know, I obviously love basketball, but I also love you know, real estate. And that's the perspective I would come from, you know, if it was me. But uh, yeah, I I just, I just think, you know, it's unfortunate. And um, obviously, more has to be done. 
Yeah. I mean, there's definitely nothing really to be added, but just that, you know, I guess, like, protest at its definition should function as, like, disruption. And I think when you see mm-hmm. in the news that, you know, the, the, the Timberwolves have uh, postponed their game or, you know, they did it in baseball, too, I think. Um, like, obviously, I don't know whether the players did it as, as a mental break and if that's why the postponements happened. Like, that's a whole different reason. But I don't think it, it caused disruption, you know. So I hope that the players, if that is their intention to protest, like, realize that their actions are not disruptive anymore. And that, as a form of protest, just means that it's ineffective and that they need to figure out um, I mean, a, a, a new way of protest, you know, like it, there needs to be because, again, like the world, the world has caught up with what has been in vogue, which is kneeling, which has been suspending games, you know, things on T-shirts, slogans. Right. Like that. That's all done with. It's not disrupting anymore. So um, it's definitely yeah. I mean, to Reagan's point it, requires change. Yeah. And to, and to your point, I mean, the very nature of disruption is that once you, you know, you've pushed me off my track. I'm gonna get right back on track, you know. That, that's that's the you very keep pushing. That, right. That's the very nature. So you gotta, you can't just push a train off its track. It's just gonna come back to the track. You gotta create a new track, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just when you had your screen, do you just stand there or do you ride the dude back out? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. come on now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I think that's a great point that you brought up, Eddie. Like, a lot of people are, are you know, frankly scared to piss people off. And not not necessarily scared because I feel like you know even you know postponing the game I'm sure there was a lot of people on Twitter like oh what what are you these black people are freaking postponing my my game stay keep your politics out of my sport but it's like you can't just be pissing off like the <laughs> ugliest of the ugly of our of our society there should be like a pretty decent demographic that's pissed off at what you're doing because ultimately you're challenging the status quo and most people would kind of just want to stay comfortable and don't want to change so unless you're like engaging with and really forcing a large group of people to think critically about what you're doing it's not enough it's not enough and you know it it, it becomes performative at a certain point and yeah and, like and, i said it's not built yeah. for everybody but you know for the people that you know you, you got your Jalen Browns and you got your Malcolm Brogdon's and you have your um LeBron James to to an extent right like you have your dudes who do want to engage in this work and all of this is to say I I feel like it should be thought critically about how to engage in this work moving forward past what what's already been done and, and I have one other larger point that I've always held true that I get so freaking frustrated about sometimes so you know, outside of Donald, we don't have to get into Donald Trump, but the most recent uh, or the, the, the second mo- going back, I think, two White House interns like that kind of cycle. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, this isn't just Donald a Donald Trump thing, but, you know, this goes to a lot of our history. The thing about, you know, internships is that. The application pool for so many um, companies, so many positions, all these big, whether it's Apple, Google, whatever the case may be, you're going to get way more qualified people than there are positions. That That's just what you, that's just what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, on some, a, 
I think the the word affirmative action is, is kind of like disrespecting to my what value I can bring and, and you know people of color whether it's black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, you know they're 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 freaking qualified too. It's not you know you're tr- just trying to fill in a a, a status quo. Um, but when I see a picture of White House interns and literally ninety eight percent of them are white and one you know you got one two Asians. One black person, one Hispanic person, whatever. It's just like, damn, bro. Y'all probably received like 500 qualified people out of a million applicants. Just, you know, just divide up the pot. Like, like, damn, how hard can that be for these big ass corporations to give us freaking experiences in, in these fields, doing these, you know, job functions, you know, meeting new people, networking, um, moving up, you know, improving your resume. How hard, how, how hard can that be? Because I guarantee it's, you. It's called the White House for a reason. And, 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 like, and, and the thing, yeah, yeah. The, the thing about it is that, and it's not only that, it, it goes for every other, you know, corporation internship too. And, I, you know, I'm talking from my perspective, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that, you know, I I can have parents that can send me to college. I speak from a position of privilege, too. But, you know, that's something that, again, it goes to people who have authority, people who have power. You're in a position to influence, you know, not only that kid's life or whatever, but that community, too. You know, again, you're going to get more qualified uh, people than you have positions. So why not just be fair about it? You know, I mean, hell. I mean, my whole philosophy on that, like, I mean, hell, people are probably listening to this Hoop and Holler episode like, what the hell? (laughs) Where are we at? But we're here now, so if you want to stick around, you know, stay with us. But, I mean, people are just so scared of this idea of like, oh, I don't want to hire you just because you're black or I don't want to hire you just because you're Latino. I don't want to like, you know, that feels like this, like, fucker, hire me because I'm black. Please do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do that. Because at the end of the day, I view that as like a perspective that other people don't have right you can't speak to the black experience like i can speak to the black experience you can't speak to the hispanic experience like julio can speak to the hispanic experience you can't speak to the asian american experience like eddie can speak to the asian american experience and if you need diverse communities within your workplace right if that's going to and you know not even if that is going to help you be a better business right Hire me because I'm black and I can bring a different perspective that no one else in your hiring pool can bring. Hire Eddie because he's Asian. Hire Julio because he's Hispanic. Because at the end of the day, like if you if you need diverse voices, I'm a diverse voice. Don't we don't need to tippy toe around the bush here? Hire me because I'm going to give you a voice because you that that no one else is going to offer you right like th- those are the sort like and again like we can get like that's all surface level stuff. We can get so deep into ideas of capitalism versus socialism we can get into the ideas of humanism versus you know elitism and and, and fucking materialism and, and all sorts of stuff that we can get into but we're already are over our hour we might have to change hoop and holler to doggone we're smarter than just liberation hour or something people. like that we're hey more, man this is what you're gonna get here this is what you're gonna get we we, we don't just freaking you go. You gonna hear this on Undisputed tomorrow? <laughs> you, you, you think Skip and Shannon are gonna have an engaging conversation about 
you know, social, nah, man. This is what we do on Hoop and Holler. Also, before we get up out of here, shout out Lou Dort. My boy dropped a 40 ball tonight. A 40 ball? On how many from shots? From Lou Dort. If I'd have told you last year if Lou Dort was dropping a 40 ball, what'd you told me? I'd I mean, say that he got hot for a game and they left him open. Whatever, man. Look, he took 31 he won't shots. won't give him his flowers, I will. And that, that's, still, that's still an accomplishment, but damn, okay, see, like, how does he get up 31 shots in a game? I mean, to give you, their starting lineup was, I think, Theo Maladon, Moses Brown, Lou Dort. Um, was it Svee? I don't think Svee started. Like, I mean, it's, it was, it's, it's it, a whole lot of down, but... I mean, good for They're Luke. down tremendous over there in OKC, but good for maybe Luke. they're on the road to K to Cunningham. Who knows? But thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Hoop and Holler. As always, go follow the socials. That's at Hoop Holler Pod. All that good stuff. Um, you've been on the Twitter lately? A little bit. Eddie? I know uh, Julio did like my Minnesota Timberwolves take. <laughs> Julio's such a troll, bro. You are such a troll. I, I'm, I look at my Instagram, is Julio missing a shot? You're the only person that I know that would post themselves missing a shot and somehow flip it into them <laughs> talking about somebody else, how bad somebody, oh, I look like Reagan and Eddie right now, bro. Like, what? You missed the shot. You, you It was you. You did it. But Maybe I missed it on purpose. Good stuff. Julio, for Julio the internet troll, for Eddie the Twitter guy, for Reagan the guy with the man bun right now. Thank you so much for tuning in this episode, and we will see you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler Podcast.